we welcome Cher from Wisconsin. She's now from Colorado. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you. Back, it's kind of funny because very few people know the old stomach grounds of Green Bay, but when I mentioned where I used to hang out at Starbucks or stop by certain gas, she knows every, every part of that. So She's Mark's friend, so that's her claim to fame in our church. I don't know if that's a claim to fame, but <laughs> welcome. I hope you feel at home in Colorado and particularly here at Valley Community Church. So if someone were to ask you to define Christianity or maybe to describe it, to describe it might be easier for you to do than to define Christianity. Most people would expect you to describe a creed or a system or a philosophy or a set of values. A lot of people today in the the outside world would expect you to define a political position (laughs) because they usually put both together. If you're a Christian, then you have certain political positions. There are many ways to look at Christianity historically and presently. But I would argue this, that more than anything else, you hear me say this often, Christianity is a relationship. It is not a religion. It can be described or defined as a religion, but it's much, much more than that. Lauren Daigle has a song, I'm Losing My Religion. (laughs) It doesn't mean you're casting off everything, but what you are embracing is the most important relationship in life, and that is with your Creator. God, the one who designed you, that formed your life, that has purpose for your life. It's about relationship. But it's also about relationships with people. This is what we have here as we're we're gathered together as a people. And it's interesting that when you take the the entire Bible, Jesus sums it up in, in really two commands. One command with two parts to it. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. That's your first obligation, your first responsibility. So relationship, love the Lord with all of your being. The second part of it is to love your neighbor as yourself. And you say, well, how do I love God? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. So obedience to God, to his word, is the clearest expression of my love for God. How do I express my love for another people, for for other people? It's by serving them, preferring them over myself. Now, both of those are calling for a death. They are calling you to a death of the self-life the self-will, the self-ambition. That's why Christianity is not an easy thing. It is a better thing because you're in alignment with your creator and you're in harmony and fellowship with other believers. But in order to maintain that and keep that, there has to be a, a constant and consistent dying to self, 
dying to me. You know, the, the me life, the self-centered life is the loneliest and most miserable life out there. And so this group of people in Corinth, this, this is a group of believers like we are here, you know, almost two millennia ago, but their, their problems and challenges are so similar to what we're facing today. They've got a lot of angst. They've got a lot of stress. They've got a lot of uh, conflict in their family. And Paul, who is their spiritual father, is trying to help them get back on track. It's, it's like you see friends that have lost their way. They've lost their joy. They've lost their happiness. They've lost their unity. And they're miserable. And Paul has every right and authority to speak into their lives because he's, he's really invested in them. He's really, really invested in them. And that's one thing that I think is great. You know, when you pour into someone, you invest in someone over and over again, a lot of times it gives you the ability to say the tough things. So he's writing this letter to them, and he's challenging them to get back on track, to return to the foundational truths that we're, we're talking about here, relationship, obedience to God, relationship here, serving one another over myself, and experiencing God's intent of joy and blessing in that relationship. Now, this week, we're, we've been working through uh, a number of chapters. We're starting chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. And so far, he has been dealing with some issues that he's heard about, and he's writing this letter. And, and he's challenging them. And then he comes to chapter 7, and from chapter 7 on through chapter 16, he's going to be answering what appears to be a number of questions that they've asked him from a previous letter. And so... This is the first question that they're asking, and we're going to find another question in chapter 8 and so on. And they're very interesting. Now, there are 40 verses here in this chapter, but I think there's really one very powerful, clear, and simple point. And that's what I want to move to in the brief time that we have here this afternoon. The text is interesting because... When you read the very first verse, it says, this is 1 Corinthians 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, I'm not sure what translation, English translation, that you have. I've read, I read that from the New American Standard, which is a very literal translation. Uh, people ask me, what's your favorite translation? I always say it depends. <laughs> If I'm looking for a very exact, literal translation, uh, New American Standard. If I'm looking for to understand a little better clarification of meaning and, and that sort of thing, I may look at the New Living Translation. There are a lot of great translations. And that's why I say when you study your Bible, look at all of them. It'll help you understand not just what it says, but what it means. So this is what it literally says. It's good for a man not to touch a woman. Some of the translations will say it's, it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. That's kind of the idea of what it means, but it actually says, and Paul chose these words and not other words. 
He's saying it's good not to touch. You say, well, that's a bit of an exaggeration. Well, Paul is known <laughs> for exaggerating some points to get their attention. And he's, at, he's answering the question that they, they had. And, and we don't have that previous letter. And so we just have to kind of assume the nature of the question that they were asking. But, but so he responds this way that it's, it's good for a, a man not to touch a woman. So you read on to verse 2. It gives you a little more context. It says, but because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. So here's what they were asking. And I think we see this as we read through the chapter. Since there is so much immorality going on, and, and Corinth was just infamous for the incredible immorality of all kinds. And, and the word for it is porneia. And we get the word pornography. But all kinds of immorality. And it had now come into the church. And so and, and they were starting to realize the, the devastating effect of this kind of immorality. And so some were saying, huh, it must be better if we just don't have any physical relationships and we don't get married and just rule that out of our lives. <laughs> well, that would make a, a short life cycle <laughs> for, for families. Um, you ever, you ever find sometimes you get into a, you're so tired of seeing all the bad stuff going around, you say, we're just, you know, we're going to move to Idaho, or we're going to, we're going to, you know, you make an extreme statement. So, and the extreme statement was, we should just give ourselves to celibacy. Is that, is that God's intent? <laughs> it, it's, it's. It might be a reaction to the frustration of what they're seeing. And, and where this can become a problem is a person could say, you know what, I've decided this, that I'm, you know, I'm married, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be celibate. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, or, or I'm not married and now I'm, I'm canceling the wedding. And so you then begin to judge other people for not doing the same. And Christians are famous for this. We're thinking, God doesn't have enough rules. You know, we need to make up some rules. You know, the Pharisees were masters at this. And, and you know what? It didn't die with the Pharisees. Let me just tell you. Every major denomination I know is just so good is saying, what, now what God really means here is we need to, and they start adding all these rules. And it puts people in bondage. And so they're, they're kind of overreacting. They're asking him, should we just become celibate, not even have those kind of relationships? Should we not get married? Should everybody who's not married not get, you know, never get married? Well, this isn't what he's saying. And so he, he kind of goes through a basic principle. Because it does, you know, a, a good, healthy marriage can curb some of those temptations. He acknowledges that. And as, as we work through this, 
you're going to hear Paul saying, the Lord said this, and I say unto you. Not the Lord, but I, I'm saying to you. Now, that, um, that can maybe get us confusing. Everything that you read is inspired of God, okay? But what he's referring to is the basic commands. God gave basic commands of morality in the Old Testament. Jesus reiterated these. Paul now is going to expand into some application. You'll hear me do that sometime. Uh, sometimes. It's because of the present challenges. Um, you'll have things like, you know, should, should we go to this movie or should we watch this type of thing or should we, uh, you, you know, there are a lot of things the Bible doesn't cover. <laughs> so Paul is bringing in some practical, relevant illustrations of how to deal with the present struggle in Corinth. And that's, that's a little bit maybe a little bit confusing when you read, you know, Jesus said this, but I say to you, there is no conflict. Uh, but he's very careful of saying that th this isn't a, a command. He's, Paul is single. And he says, in, in many ways, it's better. But I don't want you to feel bondage to that. And it's important that we understand that it's not more spiritual to stay single or it's not more spiritual to be married. And so he's going to work through this. And we have really all the groups that he talks to here are the groups we have here at Valley. And so if you're following the outline, he has four, four questions from four groups of people. The first question is from those who are already married. You have believers who are married and they're in the church. Second question is from those who are no longer married. Now, typically that's going to be through death or divorce. There are people that were married, they're no longer married. That's a lot of our people here too. Then the third set of questions is from those married to non-Christians. So you're, you're married to a person who has not put their faith in Christ, and so there is what we, it, sometimes people call that a mixed marriage. In other words, and it's not, it's not ideal, but you know, for whatever reason, that's, where, that's your reality right now. And the final question is from those who are considering marriage for the very first time. So I want to just kind of work through this, and I'm going to do it very briefly. This is kind of a high-view uh, flyover, but I want you to see that in each case, we're working to the same conclusion and the same takeaway at the end of the message. So to those who are already married, believer, believer, uh, whether you were believers when you uh, got married or not, but you're both believers now, what is marriage? What is marriage? Uh, marriage, as God defines it, and this is, this is where I'm always going to go, my, uh, what we call a biblical worldview, is God defines marriage as a covenant. It's a covenant between one man, man and one woman in a relationship that allows for no other as long as they both shall live. That's how God designed it. Christ reiterates that. And anything sexual... Outside of that is sin, porneia. So when we, when we usually word, use the word sex or sexuality, people get really nervous um, because we get immediately start thinking bad things, bad, that's bad, that's bad. It's actually a beautiful thing that God created, a wonderful thing in the context of marriage. 
But this is the way Satan always works. He'll take a good and beautiful thing and pervert it and twist it. And what we've seen happen, he'll do this with, with, with food and drink, with, with uh, anything. But particularly here, a good and beautiful thing that God has created for enjoyment gets twisted. And it keeps getting twisted and more twisted and more twisted. We look at our, our society today. It's getting worse and worse. And so when you, when you think about those things that would destroy a marriage and destroy a picture of God and of the witness that we're to have on earth, we realize how, how difficult it makes it. So in, in a marriage, you have believing husband, believing wife, they've come together, they still have problems. <laughs> I think the divorce rate for Christians is about the same as it is for non-Christians. You think, well, how do you explain that? Well, I think, one, human nature. Christians still have, they have a new nature, absolutely, but they still have that old nature. You, you both tend, by nature, to be very selfish. And when people are living out their selfish existence, their self-centeredness, and their pride, it's going to create conflict. I also believe that Satan delights in destroying good relationships. So I think he works overtime on believing couples. So divorce happens. Uh, so whether or not you've lost a spouse, you may have been married for years, or sometimes there's an accident or a sickness or um, an illness and someone's taken, or you're divorced. Well, you know, you can say, well, whose fault was it? You know, you're divorced. <laughs> I mean, it, it, is, it is what it is. There's a, there's a lot of pain there. There's a lot of pain um, in that. But there's also pain in, in living together. I tell people there's, there are worse things than being single. <laughs> we got a joke about that, you know, but you, know, you don't want to be married outside of God's will. And so start to think through this before you get into it. So marriage is, as God's defined it, there are what we would call exception clauses. You know, people say, well, is there any way out of this? And this could get to a long digress discussion. But let me just kind of sum up my, and this is Matt speaking, okay, <laughs> my feeling. God hates divorce. It's never God's intent. God wants you to stay together. That's God's intent. But, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. Either your sin or their sin. Now, once you've been divorced, um, you know, or, or are there grounds for divorce? I find two in Scripture. One is immorality. In other words, there's unfaithfulness. Or there's desertion. Um, as I said, I'm not going to dive into that right now. And there are a lot of different opinions on can, that, can those people get remarried. My feeling is, in the proper way, yes. Um, taking time, I, don't think, I think it's always God's will to try to restore if you can. But sometimes it just doesn't, it's, it doesn't happen. But I do believe this, that God is a God of grace and forgiveness, and you move forward with your life, but you've got to be sure you're moving in step with his spirit and his word, and not just like, well, I'm going to go do what I want to do. So, believers, why do we still have so much conflict 
in believing relationships, and I would say this, that, that most men are very selfish and most women are very selfish. You go back to Ephesians 5, it tells men, here's what you need to do. Love her like Christ loved the church. That means Christ died on a cross. Remember we talked about this earlier. So for the man, sacrifice. For the woman, submit. And Jesus did both. Jesus sacrificed his life, and Jesus submitted to his father. So as I said earlier, it's a call to death. And the only way you're going to have a great, alive marriage is when you come to be able to die to self. So for those who are already married, you continue to invest. If, if your marriage does not work out, it ends in divorce, it is not the end of the world. And the church ought to be the very best place in all of the world to help people get through that and get on with life. Amen? Second group of people, questions from those who are no longer married. I think Paul was at one time married. I can't prove that from text, but from, from what I've read and kind of reading between the lines on a lot of these things, I think at one time the Apostle Paul was married. Either his wife passed away or left him, I don't know. He doesn't say, and it kind of surprises me because he's usually very confessional. Paul just kind of spills his guts about things, but he doesn't say. But for those who are no longer married by death or divorce, they have a whole set of unique challenges. You know, being married, you got challenges, but when, when you go through the loss of a loved one, um, through any event, there's a lot of pain and there, there is a lot you have to live with every day. Most of you know I have a very close friend who just lost his wife in a car accident. He's a pastor. He's 50 years old. You know, just boom like that. And we, we've kind of talked um, about this. He said, there is not a, a moment in the day where, where something doesn't impact me in regard to this. You know, this has only been seven months ago. And so he's dealing with a lot, a lot of these thoughts, these things. Uh, when you go through a divorce, if you've got kids or if you don't have kids, you've got family tensions, all, all of these make it very, very challenging. So the verses that we looked at at the beginning, um, and, and you can follow this in the outline, the first uh, five verses talk about to those already married. But verses 8 and 9 uh, specifically are dealing with those who are no longer married. And my feeling is this, that when you get to that place where you're no longer married, as I said, you have to ask God from where you are right now, what steps do I take forward in your will? I know there are those that say, you know, once you've been divorced, you can never remarry again. And by how they interpret a lot of the, the passages here. Um, I don't, I used to hold that position when I was in seminary. <laughs> you know, you had an answer for everything when you're in seminary. And I start to, and it's not because I, I'm looking around at culture and saying, well, that's not going to work. No, it's because I think, what is the real meaning of the text? And wh what is the heart of the Lord in this? Paul wants them to have healthy relationships. The next section of questions comes from those married to non-Christians. Now, this usually happens when uh, you both get married and 
later on, one of you becomes a Christian, and the other one hasn't yet. Or um, you're dating, and you're, the Christian isn't really walking with the Lord or paying a lot of attention to this and making a decision to marry, and they shouldn't. Or the person you're dating is saying, oh, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, well, that's good enough for me, and we get married. And you find out they were just kind of doing that to get married. I've seen all of these <laughs> situations. And when this happens, you, are, you have a unique set of challenges because you have a spiritual life, a love for God's word, want to follow Christ, and, and your spouse isn't there. But uh, don't give up on this because maybe the very best way for them to get there is you. And so if, if you're, they're not, say, like a guy is not sacrificing, but you're submitting, um, or, or a woman is not submitting, and yet a guy is sacrificing and living that life, bearing fruit of love, genuine love, a love for God, a love for them, so many times have we seen this that their spouse comes to faith, a genuine faith. And this is what he's talking about here in verses 12 to 16. He says, who knows if, if he says that you, you make, in a sense, make them holy or set them apart or, or have a positive influence on their life. The same way with the kids. And so by, by taking responsibility for your life of being who you need to be, that impacts them. It, it impacts others. So we've said many times, you can't control what other people are doing, but you can control what you do. And that's where your focus and your attention will go. And then this last, and like, as I said earlier, it, it may not work. I mean, someone may say, you know what? Since you became a Christian, you've changed, you're different. I don't want to live with you anymore. And, and he says, Paul says, you know what? If they leave, then let them go. I mean, it's not that you, you're wanting that, but you're free. You're free to move on. So this last set of questions uh, from those who are considering marriage for the first time. Now, there's a, probably a period of time, uh, junior high, pre-junior high, or kids, they're, they're not even thinking about ever getting married. <laughs> but most people will at some point think about this. And, and what Paul is saying in verses 25 to 38 uh, is really addressed, and he uses the word to virgins. Um, but I think in, in, a, in the scope, in the, uh, this would be um, to engaged couples, to um, people who are entering into marriage for the very first time. Should you get married? Now, Paul makes this argument, being single is not bad. It is not a lesser thing. If you are single, you come into this world single. You are not incomplete because you're not married. And so it is not a lesser thing. It is not less spiritual to be single. And Paul is making an argument in this, this way. He says, being single, I have more time to give to serving the Lord. You've got a lot of time for other things. When you're married, you've got tons of responsibilities. You've got kids, you've got more responsibilities. Now, if that's the life God has called you to, praise the Lord. But if he has not called you to that, don't desire to 
Make that change. You want to be following the Lord in your life. So typically when, when uh, young couples will come and say, I'm thinking, we're thinking about getting married, uh, about getting engaged. And I think there are questions I like to ask, or they should probably ask themselves. One, is this person, are they a Christian? Oh, yes, oh, yes. Now, if it's, if, if it's my daughter, I'm going to ask further questions. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> anybody can say they're a Christian. I want to see the evidence of it, the fruit. That takes some time. Take some time. What is the fruit of authentic Christianity? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. It's not that they go to church. The fruit of the Spirit is love. I want to see how that young man treats his mother, how he treats his siblings, how he treats strangers. Because love to me and then, and is, is critical. And then I want to see the fruit of an, an obedient life to God. It's not just that I can say I'm a Christian. I want to see someone who's following Jesus. I don't think any person is ready to get married if they call themselves Christian unless they and their future spouse are walking with Christ and have established a consistent pattern as individuals before they come together. Because even, as I said earlier, even when that's true, it's still hard. (laughs) I say there is nothing more humbling than getting married. Because when you date, you know you can go have a good time and go home. When you've got to live together 24-7, you find out how incredibly selfish you are. I thought thought it was they that were selfish. (laughs) Yeah, see what I mean? You're thinking, wow, I'm so used to doing things my own way. And so this marriage, even between two Christian people, will test you like you've never been tested. So... Much prayer. And I would say this, asking questions about, you know, I get, we go into a lot of those, but if, if you're ready for this, if this is right, if the timing is right, circumstances is right, if there, if there was a previous relationship, have I really given that every opportunity to be restored? Because I would say whenever someone comes to me and they, they say, I'm going to get divorced. In fact, I've never encouraged someone to get divorced in all my years. I've said you have grounds for it, um, but I'm not going to tell you to do that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably encourage you to try to work towards restoration, even if it takes time. I'm always, I always say that. However, you get to a place where it didn't work. Or it's at a place where you didn't know that before, and so that's water under the bridge, but you, you are where you are. And so these are important things to consider. So if we were to take these groups, and, and I've given you the, the actual passages of each, each group, because Paul is basically saying celibacy is not the answer, but sexuality in the context as God has defined it and instructed it is my will for you. That's the answer. Not an overreaction, but an action in the will of God to these groups. You're already married. 
you're no longer married, uh, you're married to a non-Christian, or you're still thinking about the possibility of marriage. And here's how he sums it up. I said, I'll kind of I'll move to this point, and, and I'll be done. And I know that's it's kind of like, you just went through 40 verses. <laughs> well, I didn't really go through every detail, but here's the point. And I think each, each text has a point. And we find it in verse 17. I'm going to read this, and uh, first of all, in the ESV, which is uh, my more, more literal um, translation. It says, Only as the Lord has assigned to each one, as God has called each, in this manner let them walk. And so I direct in all the churches. Okay, so that's literally what he is saying. Now, in the message, have you heard of the message before? The message is actually a paraphrase. Um, and Eugene Peterson is an incredible um, Greek, Greek and Hebrew scholar, but he also understands culture and context. And so this is kind of a stepping back. What did, what did that verse that I just read, what is it really saying? And I think he really nails it. Let me read this to you. He says, and don't be wishing... You were someplace else or with someone else. (laughs) Where you are right now is God's place for you. Live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. Don't think I'm being harder on you than any of the others. I give the same counsel to all of the churches. So you can kind of, it's a little finer print, but you can see that up there. It's an amazing grasp of what this is saying. Don't be wishing you were in some other place. What he's saying really uh, is learning to be content with where you are, who you are, where you are with what you have. Learn to be content. Paul says this in Philippians. He said, I've learned this. It's like this process of, of being content because until you are content, you're not ready to move forward in any relationship. And it's not easy getting to the place of contentment, allowing Jesus to fill the void. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not a desire to be married. If you want to be married... And I'm sure there are people that are married or are desiring, they wish they weren't married. People have those thoughts too. So those are the things we struggle with, but it is, Lord, help me to be satisfied with where I am. I think it's very important that we get to that place. And then he says, live and obey and love and believe right there. God, not your marital status, defines your life. So, reading this, to me, verse 17 is, just nails it. A whole chapter you could put into verse 17. Of course, he elaborates and expounds in a lot of different ways. So, the takeaway is really two words. Believe and obey. Believe and obey. Believe means you trust in what God says in his word and are content with that. And secondly, you obey everything he's called you to do. And that's what, that's what verse 17 is saying. Be content with where you are and obey what God has called you to do. And it's going to be different for all of us. 
You see, there's nothing in the scriptures that's going to tell you personally what you need to do in your present situation. But God knows your present situation. Every one of us have a situation, right? And every person in your situation finds that it is not easy. So the answer is not getting out of it. It's being content, believing, and obeying. And I think, how do I do that? How do I, how do I get to the place of contentment and obedience? I don't find it within myself. And you're right. But God gives you every resource that you need. He gives you every resource you need to be content and to be obedient. When you learn to be content and learn to be obedient, you will find the peace of God washes over you and joy fills you. And there's no other way to get to that place. Isn't that amazing? God wants you in whatever situation you're in, whatever circumstance you're in now, to be at peace and to have joy. So, remember I talked, uh, I think a week or two ago, about God gives you kind of like a backpack of resources <laughs> to do this? There are five of them. And um, I hope that you will, if you don't write these down, memorize these, okay? Because I think God gives you everything you need to be content, to believe, and to obey. So there are five of them. Before I, before I give you these, let me just say this. So whenever I see someone who is spinning out, depression, discouragement, frustration, they're just kind of, and I think most of us have been there at one point. We've seen people with that. If you're a Christian, it's usually because one of two things. There's something you're not believing or something you're not obeying. There's something you're not believing or there's something you're not obeying. There's something you're not believing about God of what he said because if you believe that, you'll have peace. Or there's something you're not obeying. And he gives you these five resources to be able to get to that place. It's, it's spiritual warfare. Number one, the Holy Spirit. The moment you become a Christian, you ask Christ to save you, to forgive your sins, to give you eternal life. The Holy Spirit takes up residence in your life and will teach you and guide you and help you and comfort you. He's with you always, always. And you cannot grow, you cannot move forward without the Holy Spirit. You can add all these others and you don't have that, you're not, you can't do this. So you need to come to the place in your life personally where you've put your faith and trust in Jesus alone for eternal life. Just call unto him. He says, call unto me. Call unto me. So that's number one. Number two, you have his word. His word is truth. This book gives you everything you need to know, either in precept, direct command, or principle. Everything you need to know right here. 
This book is filled with truth. It's it's complete truth. Life-changing truth. And, And you need to feed on God's word like nothing else. That's why we want it at Valley Community Church always be word-centered. Show from the scriptures. Number three, prayer. That's my God speaking to me through his word, but I'm speaking back to God, all my frustration, my cares, my worries, my, all of that I'm talking to him, and he hears me and he answers me like a father to a son. Isn't that amazing? Whatever your situation is, you can call and ask him about it. And he delights to answer. Number four, you have the body. So you have, you have Holy Spirit, word, prayer, the body. That's the rest of us. Now, that's, that's the imperfect part <laughs> because we're not always going to give you sound advice. But, but if, you're, if you're wanting in an, into a marriage or out of a marriage or how to handle a marriage, and all of your friends who are good, strong, healthy believers are saying you shouldn't be doing that, you ought to stop. If all of them are saying, you know what, I think this is a good thing, that's a good reassurance. Now, choose your friends wisely. Because I found this, that whatever you want to do, you can find some friends to agree with you. <laughs> you just you find the, the, the right, wrong friends. But this is, this is just a healthy part of decision-making process, is when you have friends around you that are affirming a direction or cautioning you, that's a gift. Then the last one, is trials and testings. Now, that's not a fun one. That's not the one you pull out and say, ooh, let's try this out. <laughs> I'd much rather go to the Bible than to go to my trials. But God brings trials to strengthen your life. It's a testing. It's like when you, when you pick up a weight, if I'm going to pick up a barbell, and it, and it tests that muscle, it strengthens it. So your faith, in order for it to grow must be tested. As parents, you watch your kids trying to own their own faith. So in a relationship, dating relationship, future relationship, as it gets tested, it should strengthen it. And God will allow trials into your life, to your marriage, dating relationship, your future, to be able to strengthen your life. Isn't God good? I mean, he, he's given us everything we need. And you, I thought of, this is exciting to me. All four categories. It doesn't matter where you land, the future is good. You don't have to say, oh, well, you know what? I've been divorced. Or, you know what? I've got an impossible husband. <laughs> or I've got, you know, you know what? Every line in here gives you hope. It gives you encouragement. And God is for you. Don't forget that. God is for you. He's not against you. And when you line up with his word and his will, it's going to lead you into a path of joy and and peace and real success. And what it does is create unity everywhere it goes. And so I don't ever see Valley as being different than this, this church, you know, in Corinth. I mean, you know, we're going to have people from all walks of life, you know, they've, they've two married believers, two, one, one is not married. You have 
death, you have divorce, you have people that are single, but we have real unity and joy together too. Because of that, we're following Christ, and we go to him to be able to resolve that. And that's where Paul's trying to get them back to. Be content with where you are. Don't, don't want out or in. Be content and be obedient. Believe, obey. I told you it was simple. Take up 40 verses. That's what he's saying at the end. And you know what? We really don't experience the joy of it until we do that. Believe and obey. Let's bow together. Father, thank you for not just the depth and profound truth that we read about in, in such detail here, but even coming to the simple message um, to believe and to obey. And I pray that wherever we are, married, unmarried again, stressed through situations, thinking about marriage, Whatever our circumstance, Lord, I pray we'd learn to be content and to see that you're for us and that you will lead us in paths of joy and of peace. Let's stand together just before we're dismissed. And uh, as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed still, I want you just to contemplate your life and where you are. Because you're in one of these four areas. Some of you married to a believer, some no longer married, some to someone who's not a believer, and some still single. Would you pray this, Lord, help me to be content with where I am and what I have. Lord, would you help me to be content and to believe you, that you're good? And Lord, would you help me to obey every step as I follow you. I trust you, Lord. Lord, for these I pray, every one of us need this reminder. I pray you bless us as individuals this afternoon and bless us as a family. For we pray it in Jesus' name.